Welcome to Properties, the podcast that cuts the property industry to the bone. We answer your questions with our expert guests and call out all the bullshit that makes the property industry only slightly more popular than British politics. We are your hosts, Matt Smith. And I'm Chris Erickson. And we are your Properties. You should say that we're, um, we're very conscious that there's loads of podcasts on the market and um, this is just another one, um, but we are going to be focusing on all things property, as we've said, and um, not that we just like to hear the sound of our own voice, but we think that there's some interesting things that um, we hope that people will be interested to hear, um, being as we uh, have been in the property business for such a long time mm. and there's so many things that are changing all the time. Yeah. Um, and in terms of sort of how we're going to do the formatting of this, we are going to try to have a guest speaker. Uh, for most of these episodes. Yeah, wherever possible. Whenever possible, that's right. And then we'll talk about some of the sort of hot trends and, and some of the property news that's current at the moment. Exactly. So what, you know, while we've been um, estate agents for a very long time and, and, and letting agents as well, um, we're not experts in every field to do with property. So that's the, the, the idea of getting guests on wherever we can so that we can have true experts in, in, in various you know, different things like the legal profession or architecture or development or anything really, interior design, anything to do with um, the property market. And uh, um, we hope that that will be interesting to, to listeners. That's a very good disclaimer for when we get caught out. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Good. Always be sure. And I think it's, um, we should also say that we, we've both been agents um, with big corporates um, throughout our careers. We've both been agents for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've uh, three years ago set up uh, our own company, Smith and Ericsson. So we're a boutique agent, and we uh, we 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 basically work with clients that we're introduced to by word of mouth and by reputation. Um, and it allows us to do this podcast because it's certainly something we'd never be able to do um, when we were in uh, the, the the previous parts of our careers, um, because we would have to take into account that we were part of a much bigger organisation. Whereas now we can be quick and flexible, and we can also be contra- Controversial and opinionated, which is uh, which is what we want to do, right? And, yeah. we, and, we, and we've got no chance of being fired because uh, we're not going to fire each other. So. No, that's right. Yeah, very good. Okay. <laughs> um, well, one of the things that's that certainly caught my eye recently, and I think is is very much um, in the news and um, of concern, I think to to both landlords and tenants, is the rental reform bill. Yeah. So that's. Um, that's it's not it's not law yet, um, but it's been um, a lot of well, actually not a lot of, but some of the detail of what we can expect has been has been in the in the press, um, and um, I think uh, one of the things that uh, is most important is the government's proposal to to end what's called Section Twenty One, which is a no fault eviction um, for tenants, um, which basically gives. The idea being to give tenants more security. Hmm. I mean, I think for a lot of people who, who aren't familiar with the rental reform, should we talk a little bit about what Section 21 actually does? I, I know it sounds a bit boring, but it's quite yeah, an let's important do it part. Quickly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, after you, Matt. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, well, since Section 21 really is, is it's it's a way of of getting um, of a, of a landlord bringing a tenancy to an end for what is called a no no fault eviction. So, for example, if a tenant isn't paying rent, that you wouldn't use a Section 21; you'd use a Section 8, which is um, in place to use along with grounds. So, a, a grounds for ending the tenancy, for example, if there's non-payment of rent. But a Section 21 is basically the landlord is saying. I just want my property back. You've been great tenants. Thanks very much. But 
um, ending the tenancy. Yeah. And I think that ba- w- w- what I think is they're trying to prevent is that if a landlord decides he wants to double the rent, for example, um, and he can't do that with that existing tenancy, he's going to end that tenancy and start a new tenancy at a much higher rent. Which and this, I think, I'm afraid. Um, I mean, we'll discuss this in, in a lot of detail, but I think once again, it's a it's a bit sort of demonising all landlords, saying yeah. that all landlords are are, are, are greedy, um, are greedy slum landlords, which I don't think is is the case. Although I'm sure there are plenty that are um, that have got tenants. You see it in the news, you know, with with um, tenants paying exorbitant amounts of rent and there's mold and damp yeah. and terrible conditions. And um, and every time the tenants ask the landlord to rectify something like that, then they will say, well, if you want us to fix that, then we're going to end the tenancy and you're going to be homeless. I think I think that's one of the biggest issues is where tenants have made sort of perfectly legitimate reasons. Right. Um, you know, requests to improve the quality of substandard accommodation and landlords have sort of gone, you know, you don't like it, you're out. Yeah. Just looking at the stats here, that's 4.4 million households. Um, made complaints over the last three years uh, under this um, Section 21. So it's obviously a significant issue. Mm. Um, but you're right. It sort of demonizes landlords because, you know, in all our careers, I have only come across it a couple of times where tenants are being evicted for so no-fault eviction laws. The majority of the time, and Matt, you know this, we had a client, we had to go through this. Um, it's very, very challenging to get them out. It, tenants, that is. Yeah, when, you mean when they're, when they're not paying rent? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we have had, I mean... F- Fortunately, not very many cases, but you know, over a career of over twenty years, you are going to come across them where um, a tenant isn't paying rent, um, and uh, it is very, very difficult to take them uh, to get them out of the property. It can take months or even years, um, depending on on the circumstances, and at, at a cost, at, at a huge cost. And actually, you know, Chris, some of the reforms that the government is proposing here is to have a have a tribunal or a body. Mm that um, both landlords and tenants can take their concerns to without incurring huge costs. So I think that is a very good thing. And actually, I mean, look, as, as an agent, I'm, I'm not opposed to ending Section 21 because I think that there should be good accommodation for tenants and there should be long-term tenancies in place. But the private landlord, and, the, and the, the, is, there is a surprising amount of the rental stock. I think it's something like a million properties to rent in London, and we can only really talk about London. Um, 65% of that are private landlords, you know, with one or two properties. Hmm. Um, and these uh, are the the landlords that are going to be most scared by this. It's not going to be the institutional landlords where um, there's been a big increase in, in the private rental sector where there's whole buildings that are for rent under the management of a of a company. PRS. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, this is going to be pretty scary um, because th- they are, look, the devil is definitely going to be in the detail as with all these things and, and we'll be watching this very closely. Um, but what is going to um, matter is that a landlord supposedly will be able to get their property back if they want to A, sell it Mm -hmm. and move in themselves or for a family member to be able to move in. So, I mean, in theory, that should be enough, really. You know, if you're a landlord who wants to let out a property long term, then what's the problem? But I think that this is going to be very much... um, come down to the detail of how they how this is going to be policed and I think what's also actually you know there is something for landlords here as well is that it's going to be easier 
um, if a if a tenant isn't paying rent or they're um, uh, a problem tenant, it's going to be actually easier to get them out. So, um, you know, we, we were talking about a minute ago saying that it can take months or even years to get a property uh, get a tenant out. This supposedly will will make it easier. Although how how this is going to be um, enforced, I think is is questionable, right? So yeah, absolutely. Let, and I let, thought let's see what they do. And I was thinking about sort of you know the, the rules of eviction under this new uh, reform act, right? If you have a tenant who who's complaining too much or who's not paying what they think is fair rent, and you know they're prohibited now from increasing the rent, what stops any landlord from just saying, "Well, I, I want to move in," or you know, exactly. make it even easier and say, "I have a family member who wants to move in," or "I want to put it for sale." Right, uh, and you know, and that evicts the tenants anyway. Yeah, because it looks like the government's biggest reason for doing this is to tackle homelessness. Yeah. So that's the sort of prerogative they're using for this reform bill. Mm. But as you said, the devil in the detail. Um, yeah, because it, what it could easily do is is cause a whole lot of what you know the smaller private landlords to say, "All right, you know, excuse my French, but fuck this, I'm yeah. out. Yeah. You know, I'm going to sell this property now, and you know, I'm I'm done." Because also, the, the, there have been a lot of changes over the years which have made it less attractive to be a landlord. Uh, you can no longer claim um, the, the the interest on your mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, it's becoming harder and harder to to offset costs against your tax bill. Yeah. Um, plus, obviously, there's the additional 3% stamp duty if you're buying a property to, to be a, a, a landlord, um, which has just made it more and more and more expensive. Yeah, so, absolutely. Who would, who would be a landlord? You know, so I think it was also when, when property prices were rising quite considerably, um, and stamp duty was a lot cheaper, it made a lot of sense to buy rental properties. And, and that, you know, the argument was, well, you, you, you're pricing out first time buyers, but at the same point in time, it, it, it's very difficult to, to be to be a first-time buyer because you've got to save up a deposit for a mortgage plus pay to live in London, which, as we all know, is exorbitantly expensive. So people would rent. And now there's less properties to rent, so rent is so expensive, it's even harder to save for a deposit to be a first-time buyer. Right? Absolutely. And with so, which uh, we'll talk about in detail later on in a different topic uh, about sort of debt accrued by the younger generation. But on that... And saw a stat which said that 65% of all buy-to-let landlords are between the ages of 45 and 72. Yeah. So that's almost half of all of them. So yeah. you can see the younger generation just can't get onto the property ladder. But also in terms of sort of repairing and making good and also thinking that suddenly you have a property that's not up to standard. Can the landlord afford to make the changes? Well, that's right. They probably yeah. can't because yeah. they bought this as an investment because this country, the UK, is, is obsessed about owning your own property, right? Mm. Much more so than, than the rest of the continent where renting is a very common mm. setup. Um, and they thought, yeah, well, they'll appreciate in value double every 10 years. And, you know, when, in 40 years, that'll be my retirement. Right. And that's true for the sort of 50 plus but for everyone else coming into the market now, particularly right now where prices are quite high and, mm. and you know, predicted to drop, and also you have to put in 25, 30% deposits yeah. on a property that's quadrupled in value over the last 20 years. Yeah. So, you know, and rents have gone up by 25, 30%. It's, it's a ticking time bomb, which we'll, we'll discuss later in detail as well. But I also noticed that one of the good things um, about this reform is that it is also meant to um, blanket out pet bans. Yes. Because most people nowadays, particularly during the pandemic, um, sort of got their little furry friend at yeah. home. And yeah, that's right. always been an issue where people have sort of said, oh, well, I've got a small dog or I've got a large dog or a cat or a ferret, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, but, but they don't allow it uh, or they haven't allowed it or, and they didn't have to allow it. And now they have to. 
That's right. I mean, the, the press has, has called it a blanket ban, that there's been a blanket ban up to now. I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. I mean, I think it's been basically up to the landlord whether or not they're willing to allow a pet. And the managing agents of the and, building. And the managing agents, absolutely, yeah. of the building. So whether whether the building allows animals at all on the leases, and actually there's a surprising amount who don't. Um, look, we're both animal lovers, mm. um, and um, we, we, we both have animals. So I think it's... Um, it's great that this is happening, um, but again, it's going to be what? What is this actually going to do? So it's great that um, people will not have to a give away animals. Let's say if they have to move or they're yeah. forced to move and they have to move into a place that doesn't allow animals, that that, that poor animal gets put with battered dogs and cats home mm. or, or something like that. Um, so that that is a good thing. Um, but will landlords, for example, say? Okay, well, I'm not allowed to refuse, but I'll find a way around that. I'll say, well, I've got another offer. I've got, That's right. You know, or, or, you know, from somebody else. Um, or might they say, well, do you know what? If I'm going to be forced to do this, I'll keep my rental flat, but I'm not going to have furniture mm. because I don't want to deal with the damage of the furniture. So there might, maybe there'll be a load more unfurnished flats, which yeah. also might not be great because I think if people are um, at the lower end of the bracket and, and want to rent something, maybe they, they haven't got the funds to, to go and buy their own furniture, right? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the additional details to this particular proposal said that um, they may have to introduce um, a mandatory um, insurance policy. Yeah. For the tenants to take out. Uh, is it the, for the tenants to take it's out? It's for the tenants to take out for, on their pets in case they damage the property. I thought it was something to do with um, the pet insurance is required by the... So it says building owners will be able to require pet insurance to cover any damage to their property. Okay, building owners. All right, so mm -hmm. I suppose property owners, yeah. I guess yeah. the owner of the flat. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, most of well, us that's have, most of, Yeah, most of us have insurance on their pets. But uh, yeah. the, the idea being here that that comes at a tremendous cost, and it does, it's, you know... One dog, um, I used to have two dogs and they were both over a thousand pounds a year yeah. on insurance policies and yeah. that didn't cover contents damage. So yeah, so another cost, cost the landlord. That's right. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I mean, back in the day, um, when 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 uh, when we approached a landlord with a tenant who had a pet, they would often ask for a, a, an increase in the deposit. Mm. Um, but there's, you know, there's also recently um, with ASTs, you're only allowed to ask for five weeks deposit. Yeah. You're not allowed to ask for any more than that. Um, so let's let's see like all of these things let's see what actually happens because i think when the government <laughs> tries to tinker with the property market in any way they it normally has surprising effects exactly yeah. exactly so let, let's see um but on the face of it uh you know I, I think it's great for people to have pets i think it's i think it's wonderful for children especially to have pets it helps learn about uh, responsibility about caring for for well just about caring generally and also you know unfortunately when when animals die it's also often the a child's first experience of death yeah, that's true um so i mean i think it's uh, i think this is a good thing if it's if it's managed properly and doesn't cause landlords to say okay this is just the final nail in the coffin the other thing as well which um is an even bigger thing is that this reform is also looking to stop potential landlords from refusing um families with children mm -hmm. i'm thinking sort of particularly sort of young mothers perhaps who are divorced and these sort of things mm -hmm. um but it hasn't specified that but uh, from experience that tends to be the, the issue that comes up um and also people are on benefits that's right um so how on earth are going to uh, sort of uh, police that again i'm not sure because you could just say you have other interest and choose another tenant uh, who doesn't come with this sort of excess baggage if you like um i was um 
through 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 the years, um, you know, we've had some landlords that said, "I'm happy to have." what they used to call DSS. We used to get the calls saying, do you take mm -hmm. DSS? Um, and um, they were perfectly happy, but the majority didn't because it just brought with additional troubles. But um, I I thought that you couldn't refuse anyway already with, uh, you know, it, you, the well, I think it was the agent couldn't refuse, um, but then they would just use the excuses, well, the landlord doesn't want yeah. that. But so if they're saying, no, the landlord can't refuse. But again, as you as you rightly say, Chris, who, how on earth are they going to police that? The landlord said, well, actually, do you know what? I've decided I'm moving back in or I've got another offer or, you know, the ceiling's falling down. I'll have to call you back in two or three weeks when I'm ready to rent it out yeah. again, right? I mean, how are they going to fill it? What they really, what, they, what we need is the government to build some affordable housing, genuinely affordable housing or private rented sector built by the government. So, so that's an interesting can... topic you raised there because that's obviously the biggest thing. You know, the, the current government in power has shelved that the sort of 300,000 pounds a year, that's 300,000 homes a year policy, right? Because right? yeah. they, they were nowhere near hitting it. I think they were under 10,000 yeah. at best of times. Homelessness has increased by 76% year on year and that is what this reform that's is. That's a huge percentage. Absolutely yeah so it's it's come up now at around 6,000 homeless people or households that were threatened with homelessness in England as a result of the section 21 orders between April and June 2022. So that is a massive increase and that's probably why Michael Gove has sort of been pushed into trying to find some sort of reform to to tackle this. Any, any excuse but to build more housing. Exactly right. but then the question sort of begs you know, is the government the best body to build affordable housing or should they be um, sort of incentivizing developers to do this? Because it comes at a huge cost. It does. And, and building uh, social housing like they did in the 60s, you know, I, I don't know what the actual costs are, but you can't build homes like that anymore, as you've seen, because mm. most of them have had to be redone, knocked down and rebuilt. But I, I guarantee you that it's probably five or six times more expensive now. Who's going to foot that bill? We have we have a, an economy that's sort of free falling at the moment and no money in the coffers, right? So, how how are you going to build three hundred thousand affordable homes? Well, I think I think you're right. Okay, so the government can't necessarily fund it themselves, so they should incentivize developers. Um, and um, th there's got to be truly affordable housing because, I mean, as we know developments that are supposed to have a certain percentage of affordable housing mm -hmm. often don't. No, or certainly not on site. Somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, I, look, I mean, even if it's not on site, I don't necessarily see that as a huge problem as long as they are building it somewhere fairly central yeah. that that you know that that people can have a home that's in london be part of london make london what you know the whole reason that london was so cool um after the war and you know right up until fairly recently mm -hmm. we won't say the b word um you know it was because people could afford to live here i mean they weren't living in the best accommodation but there there was you could afford to live in london and be a not not only a key worker but you know a waiter or a barman or yeah. work in a club or in a shop and you wouldn't have to live on the outskirts of beyond um, and, uh, you know, that that is imperative. We've got to have proper affordable housing. And okay, maybe if a developer is going to build something that's got a bowling alley and a member's bar and a cocktail lounge, I think people get into an uproar of, oh, well, the affordable housing people can't use those. You know, that's totally unfair. No, I don't think it is. I think as long as the developers are building these developments and there is genuinely affordable housing there, 
they can ha- they can have a, a, another entrance. They can have their own communal gardens as part of that. You know, it doesn't have to be what's what 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 motivates developers to build is huge profits, and they have to therefore sell these massively expensive flats. Mm. Fine, that's one market. Then let's have that same developer providing affordable houses that normal people can use, and maybe there's a less fancy gym and there's a shared workspace there, for example, something like that, and, and a nice communal garden. Great. I, mean, mm. I would love to have lived in something like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget that these sort of amenities that we're talking about um, are paid for by, by the owners of these apartments through their service. Yeah, charge, massive right? service And they're charges. huge, yeah. you know, 10, 15,000 pounds in right. some cases. So yeah. they're, they're more than paying their fair share for those services. Yeah. I mean, what you know, what's interesting also, and I think there's something else we're going to touch on a little bit later, is um, the reason it's so expensive is because the way that we build things in this country hasn't changed in a very long time. Um, And if we look at things like um, modular flat pack Mm -hmm. properties, which are very popular in, in, in In my home country. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think why not? Because they're actually, they're looking, you know, it's not like you're, you're in a crate, uh, in a crate or a shipping container, you know, these are actually really nice modular properties that are just they're built off site and they're put together so quickly they can put these together in less than two days yeah and, they, and i'm not talking a full module house here but in terms of its sort of structure yeah can be put together in two days and then refitted it can be done in less than two weeks amazing i um, mean that's what we need to be focusing on i think there needs to be a there needs to be a shift in in what uh what people people's attitudes to what constitutes a nice yeah. home, right? And I, I think that, that's that interesting happens, you say that, that Matt. That yeah, and it's interesting you say that because it's attitudes towards this that's changing yeah. as well. You see suddenly, you know, Barclay Homes were recently in the papers because they were trying to build this huge development. Was it in Kent? In the Greenbelt area, and then there was huge, um, there was huge uproar because it right. doesn't look in place yeah. with the with the scenery and everything yeah. else. And so, you know, how are we going to build 300,000 homes every year affordable 300,000 with the, 300, the nimbies yeah exactly yeah. with the nimbies and not in my backyard mm. with, with this constant complaint about well it's not architecturally right we cannot build the same sort of properties that we built in the 1860s you know That's it's right. not affordable and, and, they're beautiful but it's not affordable right and why not build on the green belt let's have developments that are green built on the green belt with lots of green space mm-hmm. within these neighborhoods or developments or whatever they, they, they end up being, you know. Uh, and also, I think a lot of the green belts, that they call it the green belt, you, you, you picture these wide open fields and forests and things. Just, that's not necessarily what a lot of this yeah, land is. Um, so, yes, I mean, that, that these are all things that all have that all have changed. Look, before before we move on to that, because I think that is, a, is another another section to talk about yep. what, what we want to talk about, but, but the building industry is just to just to finish off um, this legislation in terms of of tenants. When is when are these legislative changes going to come in? <laughs> well, they don't know yet. Uh, a couple of years. I, I mean, there. <laughs> There are some people that are skeptic that this will ever come in. Um, you know, we, we will most likely have a change of government next yeah. year. And then there'll be a new housing minister, you know, number 15 in the last five years, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. Uh, and there'll be new policies. You know, Keir Starmer is very keen on trying to uh, increase the volume of uh, social housing or affordable housing, should I say. Um, and Michael Gove is trying to sort of make it easier for tenants. I mean, both are valid, but they're sort of almost counteractive to each other, right? Mm. Um, you can't protect tenants too much without hurting the landlords, and then that affects the housing market in different ways as well. So I'm not entirely sure that that this reform will go through as it is um, sort of put forward today. And as, as we've discussed, there are several issues here as well, right, in terms yeah. of how you enforce it and what's the detail. And, you know, from the outset, it sounds good, 
it sounds so like 50 50 right landlords can get tenants out if they're so anti-social behavior not paying rent mm. but equally tenants have more rights now and it's harder to get them out so you know where's the middle ground that's right i mean i think you know if if they're talking about things like giving councils um the, the powers to ban unscrupulous landlords from marketing in, in areas so what is an unscrupulous yeah. landlord exactly and how are they going to ban these landlords i mean how is that going to work this is there's a there's a lot to be um unpicked here and 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 i think let, let, let's see how it's but I, as you say this isn't going to come out anytime soon certainly not this year 2023 um and um i mean who knows what will happen there'll be an election in 2024 yeah. and i mean let's let's see what's going to happen um okay well i think that's um that's probably it for that um particular topic mm-hmm. um and um Let's also talk about uh, the debt bomb, as Hugo Rifkind um, recently described it in the Times. I'm a big fan of Hugo Rifkind. Yeah, he's a, he's a great writer. Um, so, what 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 is the what is the terrifying debt bomb that he was talking about? Yeah, so so the debt bomb that he's talking about is actually incredibly scary when you think about it. And the reason why it's not spoken about as much as it should be is because it tends to affect the sort of middle to upper end of households. And most of those people, they feel too guilty to raise this topic. So middle to upper end, you mean like middle classes and above or yeah, the I, middle classes? Because I don't think the super rich or the very well, rich. They're, they're talk, well, they're not talking about the super rich because media loves two extremes, right? It's mm-hmm. either the billionaires on their yachts in Dubai earning, you know, whatever they're earning. And then it's the sort of mother of seven children who can't afford to <laughs> feed them, right? It's, there's yeah. no in between, right? But yeah. the middle class, you know, is anyone from earning sort of 45,000 pounds up, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the average wage in London right now sits around 50. So if you have two income earners... Does it, does it is the average rate 50 yeah it's 50000 gosh okay yeah. it's a little bit less like than that but, yeah no it's about 47000 something but let's okay. just round it up for, for ease um, okay. but say you have two so you have two income earners both earning 50000 pounds well that's 100000 pound income right mm. in the household mm. seems like a lot of money mm. we'll talk about why that's not a lot of money in, in a minute um, when you sort of take in all the costs and the interest rates and everything else but these are the people that are going to be affected and they said that 40% of the uh, middle class to upper end are going to be affected in the next 5 years because, because they'll be renewing their mortgage right because their fixed terms are coming to an end yeah and so, when they when they fixed they were at one and a half or 1.35 even percent and now they're going to be looking at potentially four, five, six, seven percent. Yeah, I, I did some maths um, last night and oh, this morning. Good. I'm, I'm and, glad you didn't ask me <coughs> to do the maths. Yeah, it would all be fine. <laughs> and it's early in the morning, and I'm not going to bore you with all the uh, the figures. But to understand this debt bomb, I had to look at the figures, and, and so I looked at the um, Office of National Statistics. And I looked at the inflation, etc., and I took a couple of things. I took this sort of average wage, and I compared it to three different years. So 1990. Mm-hmm. Interest rates were about fifteen percent, so I, I thought I'd start there to see because that was a calamitous period, right? And yeah. we hear so often that people say, "Well, what are you worried about? Interest rates are going up. You know, they're four and a half, historically low, right?" Yeah. And I'll talk to you know we'll, we'll go through as to why this is a massive problem. Yeah. And then, then I used two thousand eighteen, and then I looked at twenty twenty three, and I looked at the average wage in London, the average cost of a home in London, the average interest rate in London, and what those monthly repayments would be. And when you take all that together, you can do a ratio of how much are you having to pay in, res- uh, in respect of your earnings, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets really scary. Okay. And, and my f- one of my favorite films, as you know, Matt, is The Big Short yeah, with Steve Carell. Too. I absolutely love that movie. And there's a scene there where he's being interviewed towards the end of the movie. And he's sitting there with the managing director for Bear Stearns. 
And he's sort of arguing that the world, financial world is about to collapse. And this guy's saying, no, 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 I'm very optimistic and I'll, I'll buy more stocks in my own company, et cetera. And as this interview is going through, all the audience members are sort of panicking because they're seeing the stock just drop down to almost zero. And as it basically goes into liquidation in the five minutes of this interview, Steve Carell sort of turns to the camera and goes, kaboom. And that was the sort of moment the financial crisis started. And when you see this ratio to earnings figure I'm about to tell you, it's a similar sort of moment. Go on then. So first of all, just to put it into context, in 1990, the average home in London was £73,000. Now, if you factor in inflation and take everything else into account, that's about £250,000 today. Okay. But the average home in London today is £525,000. Yeah. So it's doubled, more than doubled over inflation. And that's not surprising. The average interest rate in 1990, 15%. Mm -hmm. In 2018, 2.14%. 2 and today, it is 5.44 for a two-year fixed. Mm -hmm. That's about as good as you can get. Mm -hmm. Which still sounds like it's much better than it was in the 80s. It does. But what you but, say is. Yeah, but you had, you know, property prices have doubled more than inflation, right? So your monthly repayment in 1990 on a £73,000 home over a 30-year mortgage, which is where we've sort of based it on, was £972 a month. In 2018, it was £1,900 a month. In 2023, it is £2,950 a month. Wow. Now, to take that into consideration of your earnings, mm. in 1990, and this was a turbulent year, right? 61% of your income, your monthly income, went onto the mortgage. 61%. In 2018, it was 57%. Yeah. In 2023, it's 82% of your income Man. goes towards your mortgage. God, that's crazy. And there is your kaboom yeah. moment. Mm -hmm. Now, it, the reason it's not being spoken about is because a lot of people are still fixed into their 2.14, 2.3% interest rate, but they're going to come off that and they're going to have to remortgage at five and a half, maybe 6%. Then factor in the fact that energy prices have increased by 50% in the last year. Yeah. Service charges are impacted because of that. Yeah. And they have the increased cost. as well. That's right. And it doesn't, I mean, just the 50% increase in, in energy yeah. prices alone, along with 82% of your earnings going towards your mortgage. Yeah. And of course, the, you know, the energy costs and all of that trickles right through to food inflation, which yeah. um, actually just this morning dropped below double digits for the first time since last summer. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that will slowly start to come down. But I mean, they are massively, massively high. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only, the, only, the only saving grace and why some people aren't going to be sort of how you know um, outed from their properties is that two thousand nine hundred fifty pounds is is what you'd pay on a monthly repayment today on a five hundred twenty five thousand pound home, but some people have double incomes, right? Mm. So you know, husband, wife, partners, whatever it might be. So there's a double income there, right? But they've often got a double income because they've got to pay for school fees, yeah, or they've got to pay right. for childcare. I that's mean, right. if you if you if you are a, a a couple that has children and you're both working, then someone's got to look after the kids. Yeah, that's right. And and you know the way that the culture is here, it's very rare that you've got um, a mother or somebody, uh, a grandmother rather, living in the same house that mm -hmm. could potentially handle some of the childcare like they do yeah, in, on the in, continent. The, in the continent, yeah, exactly, right. where it's uh, it's more of the village mentality, take a village to raise a child. Um, well, I mean, that, that that those are terrifying figures. And, um, you know, in that column, um, it is, it's, it's the middle classes where it's often not discussed um, because of the embarrassment of, you know, of, of, you know we, we're homeowners as opposed to the, the younger generations who are maybe never going to own a home yeah. or going to be well into their 40s um, before they before they do.
Yeah, and the, the article talks about a couple of sort of uh, people that have been interviewed for this article in terms of their situation, etc. And, and and one particular chap in this article talks about the fact that when he tells his grandfather, you know, what the cost of this mortgage is, yeah. um, he sort of you know falls off the chair and sort of says, well, you know, you're an idiot. Why would you do that, right? And he's sort of saying, well. What choice do I have? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, one couldn't buy a home for eight thousand pounds back in the you know, today and and pay it off in fifteen years and then, you know, live mortgage free for the rest of your life. Now you're paying thirty year mortgages. Yeah. And you know, I, we've just moved place, right? So I, you know, I looked at I looked at what you end up paying back, and you end up paying back, of course, more than the loan, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, M- much more. Yeah. So yeah. you know, three. It says here the average first time London mortgage today is three hundred fifty eight thousand seven hundred forty one pounds, right? You'll end up paying back almost a million pounds yeah. over 30 years. And that's just the mortgage. That that's doesn't the mortgage. take into account the deposit. Or inflation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that could be 2 million by the, by the end of that 30 years. Yeah. Right? That it, you've actually paid crazy. back. That's crazy. Uh, and the whole, you know, everyone under the age of sort of 55 is now in this debt spiral. Yeah. And that's what this ticking debt bomb is, that it's about to sort of come to an end now, yeah. unless something, you know, radical happens, right? Yeah. But in terms of people being able to afford to live the way they, they used to. Yeah. We might start seeing some, some scary headlines and some horrible situations. And, and yeah. for us as, as agents, I mean, I, I remember in 2008 where we had quite a lot of clients that were in the financial industry who um, got laid off when the bank started going under. And um, which is happening right now. And, you know, the banking sector. Being very quiet about it. Yeah, they are. They, you're right. They are. And I, I don't know why exactly, but, you know, the banking sector is not in a good place. You know, we've had two big banks default. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the way that you can get money out of the banks now yeah. has changed completely. It you has. Know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's in your pocket, right? Yeah. You can just get your money out straight away. You don't have to queue up to do it. No, that's right. And also, you know, the tech sector is the new banking sector, if you like. That's where the real money is. That's right. Um, and they are laying off people by the droves. And, yeah. and that's got nothing to do with AI, which is scary enough on its own in terms of laying people yeah. off and what are we all going to do? But I'm going to need a Xanax after this. <laughs> so, but, look, I mean, I think what, 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 um, what, what, so I think, yeah, well, let, let's see how this plays out. Um, but what, um, what we're seeing on, what, what we're seeing on the property market is, and I think all agents would have to agree that it's been a much slower spring yeah, market, yeah. which is traditionally a very busy market. Yeah. And this has got to be why, because not only have people had to completely reassess what they can afford, because if you were buying something at one and a half or 1.3, percent, say for example, which was a very, very good rate, mm. 1.35. I was on 1.35 before I had to remortgage recently, which was a hell of a shock, I can tell you. Um, and uh, you know, so if you were looking at a budget of, say, unless you were looking at a house for two million pounds in Battersea or Fulham or somewhere, th- you can no longer afford that. No. And you can't save up for it either because rent, rents right. have gone up by 25%. Yeah. So there's and, nothing but, but Chris, not only can you not afford it, you have to radically rethink what you can afford. Yeah. Maybe you've gone from 2 million to 1.25. Yeah. I mean, that is a totally different type of property. And, and that's the point, right? Is that we, we, we're talking about the sort of lowest income generators uh, and the highest, but, you know, 2 million pounds is a hell of a lot of money. It's a huge but it is amount. not an uncommon budget in London. No, a lot isn't. of people have that money. They do. And they are hardworking people. And they often sacrifice time with their families and their children, their two incomes, you know, mom and dad or whatever the case is, are both working flat mm-hmm. out to, mm-hmm. to be able to afford for all, or yeah. afford this mortgage. And then add 40% cost on top of that yeah. and tell me that they're not going to be affected. Oh, they are right. They're, they're £250,000 income, you know, yeah. household-wise. Mm. So, well, you're adding 40% to that. Yeah. That school fee's gone, if that's the case. Yeah. That holiday's gone. Right. You know, how do we afford for, play, for food? You know, they've gone up 50% as well. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. 
it's a, it's a ticking debt bomb for sure. It is. And again, I'm afraid it comes down to lack of housing stock as well yeah, um, and sure. and not allowing um, London to spread. Um, I can't, I read something recently, I can't remember where it was, um, but they were talking about, um, I think it was the Danish model of, of the green belt, rather than spreading out as a circle, as a radius, um, you spread out along train tracks, so like fingers. Exactly. Okay. So you go into the green belt, but you're building along along railway lines in fingers rather than spreading out, and that way you save what you know what we could arguably call the green belt, um, which I thought was a good idea. But again, it comes down to there has to be more housing yeah. with easy commutes for people to get to work, which is you know also a, a whole other subject. How much how much are people commuting mm. into certain places? But even so, if you're spreading out in fingers, you're creating villages. And if people are working from home, then they will be supporting that community, local restaurants, local coffee shops, you know, whatever, local dog walkers, et cetera, et cetera. If you're, if, if you're, even if you are working, you're still working, right? It's in theory, you know, whether you're working from an, a, a home office or whether you're commuting, people are still going to have to work. Until the the AI overlords uh, <laughs> put us all out of work, obviously, um, which I think can bring us on quite nicely to our, our new topic. We're not going to talk about AI because absolutely everyone is constantly, but this is kind of AI. Yeah, and I love talking about AI, so let's not get me stuck with <laughs> AI. Um, it's just the uh, AI uh, bricklayers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, uh, another industry which has um, been quite resistant to change, um, or, or one of the the industries that's been resistant to change, apparently, is the building industry. And I think we can we can probably say that that's that's probably true. Um, so um, this is a, a story about um, a, 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 a robot bricky. Yeah, replacing <laughs> the human builders, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, it, it sounds like a, a crazy idea. Um, but what I thought was quite interesting um, about it was that the reason that um, that this is a good thing is because it's it's actually it's not that it's putting people out of work. It's that there aren't enough builders, and the average age of a bricky um, is fifty, and they will mostly want to retire. The average age of retiring is fifty-six, yeah. and there's not a lot of new people coming into this industry because it's backbreaking work and young, young younger generations don't want to do this kind of work. And no. I mean, look, I mean, who can, who can blame them? Well, I've always thought it'd be great fun to work on a building site. I, I worked on a building site a couple of summers along with my um, brother-in-law who was very handy, ex, ex-Marine captain. He knew how to build things and um, I did it for fun. It was fun at the age of 15, 16, but oh my God, I mean, you come home, you, you can't feel any part of your body. Well, that's actually wrong. You feel every part of your body. Yeah, it's in an agony. agony. <laughs> uh, and you don't earn that much money either. Well, that, so, that's that's the thing you don't you don't so why on earth would you do it and Mm -hmm. now with technology i mean kids today they they barely know how to socialize properly um unless it's in front of a computer so to get them out of the playground is hard enough work never mind getting them onto a building site right so but what's interesting about this chris is that uh this machine that's been invented um which we can talk about a bit but just this is this that what caught my eye it can lay three or what what you got lay do you lay bricks you You lay lay bricks bricks, yeah three thousand bricks a day compared to a human which is 500 a day yeah so i mean that's that that'll get some houses built right yeah and the idea is that you you have uh this bricklaying machine so you let's say you have a uh, I mean, we'll talk about very simple shapes and um, because it's, it's very much in its infancy, but let's say you have a, a square of two meters by two meters, then um, uh, tracks run around the, the outside of the property and you program this robot 
um, of, of the size of the property and you have one person loading bricks onto this machine and you have another person checking how it's laid the bricks to make sure it's, you know, nothing's gone wrong and it can lay 3,000 instead of 500. And also with precision, because uh, as the article goes on to discuss, it says that these machines use several laser points. Yeah. Um, so that they account for wind, uh, which is apparently a bigger issue when you obviously once you get higher up. Yeah, um, nine meters or, yeah, yeah. or higher. Because is that oh no no there was some there was yeah it's it's when you get to a certain height the wind factor moves like ten millimeters or something like that. Right. Exactly yeah. that's right. Yeah, and actually we know that from from having sold uh, very exclusive flats and very high buildings. Right. Yeah. The building moves. It does. You, know, you can yeah. feel it moving. Yeah. Um, that was it, fun the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, it's designed to do it. Yeah, uh, but um, and so these ro- these sort of robots um, can account for that. They also, which I thought was really interesting, and this is just part of the AI, but obviously they're pre-programmed with the entire blueprint of whatever they're building. So uh, you know, as opposed to sort of saying, "Well, you do this, you do that. Let's go back and check. Let's go back into the project management office. Let's have a coffee, a beer, whatever the case might be, and discuss what the next step is." This robot knows exactly where it is at all points uh, and makes adjustments accordingly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely the future. It's it's being resisted apparently. By, well, I'm sure it is by everyone in the well, industry. Everyone's always everyone at the moment. I think is terrified that they're going to be taken over. Their job's going to be taken over by. Yeah by a robot or by AI. And um, I mean, look, a lot of jobs are going to be taken over, yeah, aren't sure. they? For I mean, sure. I'm sure there'll be a, a very attractive estate agent bot at some point that that will, that will uh, go around and, and be showing properties. But um, I think that's probably a long way off. Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely irreplaceable for now, man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but 45,000 vacancies at the moment in the building industry. Yeah. Um, and uh, construction workers um, in Britain are, are falling by yeah. percentages every year. And also they have been falling for a very long time. So that's why this stat is so so important, right? The yeah. fact that the average age is 50 and the retirement age is 56 because what bricky wants to be on the site at the age of 60? No one. I don't think they're physically able to do it anymore. Yeah. But, you know, add to the fact that Brexit and COVID have absolutely decimated the workforce. And, has, uh, in and the last pushed five up years. prices, yeah. And there is, there is the B word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it, it has a major impact because, you know, we, we sell a lot of properties on a lot of new developments. And the workers that are on those developments, um, you know, are European workers. They're, yeah. not, they're not native British workers. It's mm-hmm. Maybe in some of the higher skilled jobs, but and not to say that none of those jobs are highly skilled. They are if you've ever been on a... On a on the uh, construction side, but you know what I mean. Um, no, and even for private for private um, homeowners, you know, it's a, it's, unless you've got a huge amount of money, and um, you you know, you, you're generally, unfortunately, the reality is you're going to get a cheaper quote from somebody who's sending money back to another country um, than 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 the British worker can afford to 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 um, to quote at because they obviously you know aren't and they're living here and I suppose that was one of the one of the main reasons that I guess Brexit happened is to 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 want these jobs to go to British people but the who, reality who don't is want to do the job. they don't want to do the Which, jobs yeah right that's right so maybe maybe hopefully we can have some some British made robots <laughs> yeah. and we're not we're not importing them from somewhere else so. it's interesting you talk about sort of you know the the, the the cheaper scaled uh, sort of cheaper labour force uh, that comes from from Europe into the UK. 
we when we spoke to our photographer Maciek, yeah, uh, he was saying that uh, he's, he's from Poland and he said uh, he had gone back home to his, his beautiful sort of city and he said he was looking at buying a property and he said that it's not that much different now in prices yeah. compared to London. Yeah, uh, and and my better half is also from Poland and, and she's from a beautiful city called Krakow, um, which is absolutely gorgeous. And when I've been there three or four times now, mm. and in the three or four times I've been there, you can see the developments coming up. Yeah, and. Remarkably enough, I recognize the, the sort of the, the, the style of buildings. Mm. It's very so much your Barclay Homes type development. Mm. Although that's all over the world, isn't it? It, it is, so to be fair. But a lot of these builders... Anymore yeah, that's true. From. That's true. But I mean, they have different planning laws there as well. But mm. these builders are the, high, yeah. the most highly well, skilled booming. builders there. It's absolutely yeah. booming. I mean, my... Uh, well, I say about half, I suppose so. My about <laughs> half is actually working on an airport in Poland at the moment. And <clears> I mean, it looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, it did. Um, and uh, yeah. I mean, but he's just come back from there and then said, you know, it's just absolutely booming. I thought Brexit's benefiting uh, the rest of Europe <laughs> by the sounds of it. Let, let's yeah. not ever mention the B word. <laughs> let's never mention it again. Well, and then also, I think that brings us back to what we briefly touched on before, which is um, flat pack homes. Yeah. Um, and, and how I think these are so important. Um, so, so I've seen these actually produced and installed yeah. because in Sweden, which is where I'm from, um, this has been going on for a long time. Now, the housing stock in Sweden is very different, right? So in the cities, it's, it's you know, it's bricks, it's stone, just like it is here, right, going back. And they're protected, so mm. they can't be changed. But modern, there's a lot of green belt area in Sweden, right? It's a huge country with a small population. So there's a lot of land. And it's mostly wooden houses. But wooden houses are insulated 10 times better than, than what we live in here, right? And they are plumbed. They are pre-plumbed um, before they're installed. Yeah. So all the services are put in there. And they do that relatively quickly. They can connect the pipes, electricity, gas, the whole lot. And then they build them literally like flat packs. Yeah. And then, you know, a machine does all this. It's yeah. pre-made, pre-fabbed. And then they come on these big ferries. They're unloaded. And then they're put up. And yeah. houses put up over a weekend. Well, why do you think there's such a resistance to it here? Is it the building industry or do people not want to buy them? Because look, I think we can certainly comment on, do people want to buy them? I mean, I think when... I would, when it, I, I, I'll tell you what, from the light aspect and from heating and, yeah. and all these sort of things, I mean, yeah. these are so energy efficient. Right. You think like, you know, how, how are we not doing If this? you think about how hard it was, when when we started um, in our previous in our previous um, life uh, before this, before Smith and Erickson, yeah. we were both selling very modern properties for yeah. quite a few years, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Um, and it... Around about, I guess it was 2006, there started to be a lot of new build in London and trying to get people interested when they'd call you up, we're sitting in an office in Chelsea where the majority of the stock is traditional, yeah. trying to get them into a modern flat was almost impossible. Yeah, now, you know, 2023, people are loving modern properties, yeah. right? They yeah. love the lateral space. They love the 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 epc ratings and the lights right the yeah. big floor to ceiling windows etc 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 um so it's it's just a shift that needs to happen if people can see the advantage of it but why aren't they being built i mean this is i, I agree with you i think that this is just something that is the solution 
No, hundred percent. You're right, though. It, it is a mindset. It's something that's never been done. And also, you know, a lot of European countries are, you know, whilst old in history, they're quite new in terms of, you know, their establishment, their their sort of laws and everything else. Mm. Right? The UK. One of the reasons why buying properties in the, in the UK and in London, particularly, where we have a whole leasehold and and uh, freehold owners and everything else, is because the law goes back five six hundred years yeah. you know and it doesn't get updated okay. long enough yeah. we talked about uh, pets not being allowed and now you you can no longer do that right but uh, as uh, you know as if the landlord has that option right you mentioned it earlier most leases don't allow mm. it yeah and these leases were written a hundred years ago i can barely make sense of it because it's ye old english right? yeah yeah but they need to be updated and mm -hmm. so you know it all starts from sort of the paperwork. michael upwards. gove was talking about uh trying Changing. to massively reform the whole leasehold freehold thing and i think it's done a bit of a screeching u-turn there um and talking more in in terms of capping ground rent right yeah yeah but that's because the freeholders are also some well sure i mean how do you unravel that yeah. i mean again like i you know i think michael gove for his faults is, is a very hard-working minister and is actually trying to, to to get things done but boy i don't know how you how do you reform this you know i mean i'm south african you're swedish um you, you you've got friends in the states when you buy properties in 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 those countries you you're committed straight away you yeah, can't pull out because no. everything is known about the property beforehand right, That's right you, yeah. you know there's no surprises after you've agreed it and then potentially get gazumped or you find out that uh, ramblers can walk through your front garden or mm. you know that you've got to give access to somebody or you've got to pay for the roof of the church or That's you know right, yeah. It, yeah there's all of these things should be up front and i think government tried to do that years ago what was it back in sort of 2003 with hips yeah. the home information package. which which in that theory was, was a really good idea a really good idea but, didn't, but because it didn't go far enough it didn't go nobody has right. the, the government that didn't have the guts to actually implement something yeah. properly yeah. but I, mean, I remember at the time there was a massive outcry that it was going to completely ruin the sales industry because um, speculative sellers said, yeah, I'll sell it if you get me this price, yeah. you know, but th they wouldn't pay to have a home information pack, you know. Yeah. But then I think people complain and moan and moan and moan about this, about the industry, of how it works in in not even the UK, just I mean in England because it's different in Scotland as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, it needs massive reform. It needs a total reform. And, and it, ne it needs digitizing as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, Which is happening. There's blockchain technology now working, you know, in the backgrounds that most people aren't even aware of, right? Mm. You know, the government itself has introduced this blockchain technology so that you can also sign documents electronically. But, you know, in the purchase that, that yeah, I just what, did. You were, quite, you were a wet ink. You yeah. A wet I had to go to the office Ridiculous. several times to yeah. sign the document. Why? I was like, yeah. and, and I and we deal with solicitors all the time and lawyers and conveyancers. And we just say, just send it electronically and sign it. I mean, you and I send DocuSign documents yeah. all the time. It's And your, your solicitor said to you, for God's sake, don't put it in Royal Mail. Yeah. Cause <laughs> yeah. Because it'll never get there. <laughs> it'll so, never get, yeah, yeah. So that get was there a, next month. That was a fun commute. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, you know, in 2023, with all the technological advances that we have, mm. we are are still being told that we have to go in, sign it with, you know, pen and paper and put it in the post. And yeah. these laws as well, they, you know, you talked about uh, serving Section 21 notice recently, right? And the, the, the date is X mm. and then you have to account for two more days, right? Mm. And everyone's Postage, asking, yeah. yeah, why two more days? Well, for Royal Mail, right? I'm going through a leasehold extension at the moment. It's the same thing. It's three months and two days because you have to allow for Royal Mail. Yeah. It's like, what? 
are yeah. we talking about? Yeah. This is <laughs> fucking ancient. And, yeah. And, and, and it's going to change to, to uh, you know, your notice period plus two weeks because you're going to have to allow Royal Mail to, to yeah. actually deliver it. Um, yeah, I haven't had post since, uh, since March. Well, yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. Um, okay. Um, and then um, I think our final topic um, that we want to talk about today is that 78% of housing wealth is belongs to over fifties. Yeah, so that's the t that's sort of what I touched on earlier. Mm. Um, but I used a sort of a, a slightly larger group. But I mean, that on its own is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That 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 really is quite scary. So, w w what's stopping? Do you think um, people downsizing? Because a lot of people, uh, a lot of the older generations that are living in, you know, three to five bedroom houses, yeah, and their children have moved out, and okay, they want to. I don't know, a sewing room or a wrapping room or a room to overwinter the geraniums and maybe have some grandchildren to stay. But why are they living in these houses? And do you think that the energy costs are going to not force people to move, but maybe motivate people to move now? I think it will definitely motivate people because we've spoken to these this sort of group, right? Mm. And they are very scared. Mm. We have a client at the moment who is choosing to sell her home as opposed to gifting it to her grandson yeah. because she doesn't want him to incur these service charges that have been Huge increasing, yeah. you know, to give you an idea of a communal building and, and we're not going to talk about where it is, but just the figures, the electricity cost last year or the year before was 80,000 pounds to sort of heat up this building or, or run the electrics. That cost today is 400,000 pounds. Yeah. And that has to be paid for by the and people. And it's not going to anytime soon, is it? I can't because see. It, this, this war isn't ending anytime soon, at least at the moment. No, and also we have no alternative option for renewable energy. It's, right. You know, Boris Johnson was talking about building nuclear power plants and how we, we fell behind doing this and mm. France have done it better right. and that's why they don't have the same yeah, prices. Didn't but Nick Clegg say famously 10 years ago that yeah. it would take 10 years for these to be finished? That's right. So, yeah, yeah. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been handy. <laughs> You you right? yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's almost a generation we have to wait. Mm. But the real reason I think why why people aren't downsizing is that there is not enough um, not enough options for the elderly to downsize to. So in terms of yeah. retirement homes, there are nowhere near enough retirement homes. There's not enough bungalows. Bungalows. Yeah. It's the whole thing. You know, there's just not enough property for them to downsize. You've got the article there. I can't find it here, but there's a figure there of how much wealth can be unlocked, or should I say sits with the over 50s. And I'll see if I can find it, but from the top of my head, it was Lucien Cook, from who's head of uh, research for Savills. Mm. I think the figure was something like, let's have a look, here we are. Over 65s own 2.587 trillion pounds in housing wealth. Housing wealth. Yeah. 2.587 trillion. Yeah. That's what the market is waiting to be unlocked. It says 41% of 20 to 34 year olds have no property wealth whatsoever. None. Hmm. And they just, you know, so what are they doing there? I guess they're selling them off, gifting them. But I mean, that's where the, the sort of chain blocks itself. Yeah. Where are they going to go? Yeah. You know, it, it, I don't want to keep going back to Sweden, et cetera, and stuff like this, but we have as many homes for elderly as we have for new starters. And we have always had a, a sort of a policy, a government policy, regardless of who's in charge, where it is your right to buy 
a property. Yeah. And we don't have a buy to let market in the same way you have here. It's pure investments. You know, it's offset. So you can, if you go on holiday in, or, or you move abroad, for example, you cannot recover the full cost of the mortgage. So it's going to cost you to to rent out the property. So that stops people buying for investment. And do you have rent control in Sweden? We don't have rent control, but that's the closest thing we have to it. Now, right. I must admit, it's not popular, but it also stops mm. people, you know, doing these sort of massive buy to let investments. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sadiq Khan's t- talking about rent control, isn't he? Yeah. And, and I have to say that... Um, I think that's just another another nail in the coffin of I the private so landlord. Yeah. I mean, that is that really will cause people to to run. Right? Yeah, and and I think that the problem here is twofold because the UK is a completely different beast, if you like, mm. in terms of its property sector, mm. its property industry, right, to the rest of Europe and to the rest of the world. So sitting here comparing, you know, there was another article saying that, you know, Texas is going to become the first completely green city in the world, right? Well, Texas, yeah, really? yeah, but I mean, Texas what, is what, it, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, also the biggest oil industry, right? But yeah. I mean, they're pumping billions, and they've got a lot of land, and a lot of that's desert and so forth, and they've got sunshine twenty four seven, so they can, you know, put up solar panels, etc. Uh, but yeah. we we can't compare to that. No. We can't compete with that. Yeah. You, know, you know, England can't compete with Sweden, Germany, Portugal. Although there Spain. should be more wind. I, I get more wind. This whole thing about oh, we can't have wind farms. Why? I think they're beautiful. Yeah, I think those windmill things are gorgeous. Well, it, well, you're fine. You're fine. So, like, think they're so ugly. I think they're very attractive. You're flying to Copenhagen this summer, you know. I am, yes. Yeah. When you when you're landing at uh, Kastrup Airport, you'll see as you uh, just as you descend, you'll see the wind farms going mm. straight out into the into uh, I want to say the Baltic Sea. I yeah. should know, but yeah, um, and they look beautiful. Yeah, they look absolutely stunning. But they don't even have to be in the sea. I mean, I was in Norfolk last summer, and you could see them off the coast. But why, why not on land? I think they're expensive, and in terms of what they the sort of what they generate, the opportunity. Surely, it's cost. more expensive to build them in the sea than it is to build them on land. I, I think it's just isn't expensive it more to nimbyism? build them. In, yeah, perhaps, but it's it is also just expensive to build them, and they don't mm. generate enough electricity to offset the cost of building them. You see, it all it, it's also politics, right? Because a government sits in power for five years. Yeah, yeah well, right? that's also yeah, yeah. So, is 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 the five year term the right term? Should it be 10 years so you actually have some accountability and responsibility? Yeah, but what if you end up, I mean... Yeah, yeah you end up with Liz Truss for 10 years. Yeah, or Boris or, or <laughs> Donald Trump for 10 years. I mean, I know, I know he's an American president, but still the idea of, of yeah. lunatic like that. I mean, yeah. I, I get you look, it's different here, right? In some countries, it's you vote for the man who represents the party, mm. or also who is the party, right? Mm. And here in the UK, you, you choose the party. You vote for the party, so, that's right. You know, that's hence why we've had, what is it, five prime ministers or, oh, or gosh, whatever yeah, it is. But, go down that but it, it's certain policies shouldn't be politically based right mm. there should be like okay this is the housing policy and it stays and this is what's going to happen for the next 10 years regardless of three different governments or whatever the case might be right and that might you know turn into law into you know statutory law that might change things the uk has has a real problem ahead of it because it's got a lot of also beautiful stock mm. maybe we should look into how paris does it because paris obviously is equally beautiful uh, in terms of a city, right? mm. but then of course they but have so a they, problem. They've, see? Got, they've got the same problem. They have, and they also build all their social housing on this. Or yeah. later out mm. districts, that's caused, and, yeah, and that's those districts. Yeah. I mean, actually, I think that the way London um, doesn't do that, we don't create yeah. so not slums. We don't get yeah, ghettos or areas of yeah. of massive amounts of crime. Although they are, I'm sure there are still no go areas, um, but the idea of having affordable housing next to wealthy housing, I think, is a, is a good thing. And I think that's something London has done right. We just need, obviously, just need a lot more of it. I'll tell you what is interesting, Chris. My neighbour has um, bought, the, well, bought the house next door and pretty much gutted the whole thing 
did a huge basement that was wonderful for and, two years and that's where we did the first pod no, sorry the second podcast and that's why we couldn't use the uh, audio uh, yes exactly yeah. but the drilling noise <laughs> well, thank goodness he's finished but basically this guy has he insulated the entire outside of the house um and um has put in solar panels he's put in massive water tanks that collects rainwater okay. that powers his sprinkler um and um i mean that that house is now I mean, it, 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 for a start, it's never going to get hot or cold because it is so well insulated, put in obviously all new windows and underfloor heating and all stuff like that. So it's very energy efficient. And he's also now got um, a little, a little um, AI lawnmower that, um, that's a, <laughs> that you know, we, we were talking the other day Your about. Your cat will be chasing that. We, uh, yeah. well, we were talking about anthropomorphizing robotics and how people, you know, like that, like uh, can can fall in love with their their AI. Are we talking about sex bots, man? No, we're not talking about the sex okay. bots. Well, not not yet. Anyway, not we can yet. do. I'm, I'm always up for a sex bot talk. <laughs> but um, this particular little lawnmower, I I kind of felt a bit sorry for it. I was like, oh look, there it goes again. Poor thing, working you know working so hard and never seems to stop. Um, but um, yeah, but I mean, so what we were talking about is even traditional housing stock, if you've got the right money can be made energy efficient, but how long is it going to take for all that to pay off? This guy's obviously got quite a lot of money. Um, I looked into getting some solar panels and Tim, my other half is absolutely obsessed with getting solar power. Um, but we still have gas boilers. We've actually got two gas boilers. So that's not going, the heating is gas. So we'd have to change the whole heating system, thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, plus the 15 grand they wanted to put the amount of solar panels that we would need. Um, and that would just be effectively the, the electricity, um, unless we replace the heating. So we'll take that, those thousands out of it. Fifteen years to it would back. take to to for you know by the time it was yeah. by the time you know it was it was paid for. Yeah. And I thought, well, yeah. I mean, if I was absolutely certain that I was going to die in this house, yeah. then I think it would be worthwhile because we could probably got another fifteen on top of that fifteen before. It, pop the clogs so you know maybe that would be worthwhile but who can plan that far in advance and who's got that kind of money to spend you know and why aren't there government loans for this sort of thing yeah so, so that's it the government has to incentivize everyone mm. to go green by making it cheaper for them or giving them tax deductions mm. you know sort of like you know the greener your home is the lower a certain percentage of it's got i don't know what tax right. because capital some people tax yeah. could come down for example yeah or capital yeah. gains tax or yeah exactly yeah I'm not sure, but yeah, it has maybe, to be some yeah, sort maybe of capital gains tax. That'd be a good idea. Or whenever you don't pay capital gains on your at the moment on your principal residence. No, you don't. No. It's a tough one. I mean, because you can't take it on income tax because a lot of people, as we just mentioned, don't own property, so that would be unfair. Mm. Um, but it has to be incentivized, mm. um, and it has to be cheaper. It does. And, and I'm telling you, on the continent, it is cheaper. Is it? Yeah, it is cheaper. Yeah, you, and you see it when you travel. If you know, it's one of those sort of things you don't notice it until you actually start looking for it. And you say you're looking to yeah. buy solar panels for your home. Suddenly you go to likes of Austria, Switzerland, or Scandinavia, wherever. And then suddenly you see them everywhere. It's like, mm. how I miss this? Mm. But they're, they're everywhere. So they've obviously come to some sort of, you know, opportunity cost of it's being worthwhile. Well, I think my, my electricity um, bill gets paid to France. Okay. EDF. Uh, EDF, because, you know, and uh, I, I think that is a, that's a government-owned facility, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Government, yeah, so... That's why their energy costs are a lot cheaper, maybe. Yeah, subsidized. Subsidized, yeah. exactly. Okay, Tricky. fine. So um, what else should we talk about, Chris? Should we talk we... about the market? 
Yeah. In general parties. terms. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, we are estate agents after all. Yeah. And if anyone is still listening, then uh, then this is this is something <laughs> that they could uh, maybe be interested in. So we we mentioned earlier that the spring sales market's been very late in coming. Yeah, it has. Yeah. What would you say that's? What would you say the reason for that is? Oh, well, everything and nothing, if you like. But I mean, the war in Ukraine, energy, you know, energy costs. Uh, energy costs have played a massive impact. You know, mm. never before have we cost you know, of living. Cost basically. of living, exactly. Mm. And also the EPCs, you know, energy performance certificates. Uh, the law is changing there in terms of you know who you can rent to if it's not a certain level, uh, and, and that's becoming a big issue as we just talked about. But also the the cost itself. Um, and what what about what about lack of stock? There, there is no stock. And every property we have, we have multiple buyers. Right. Well. I was just going to say, we, yeah. you know, we're sitting here saying that the market is, it's been a slow start, yeah. but basically we've almost run out of properties to sell. Yeah. And unfortunately, we've got some new ones coming on over the next couple of days. Yeah. But, you know, we, we're going to competitive bids on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so there are buyers out there. Maybe people are, have reassessed. Well, actually, I mean, look, we do a lot of, we do a lot of cash, um, cash sales or purchases as well. So, that um, takes the whole um, mortgage interest rate out of the argument altogether. But um, what is interesting is that there are still plenty people out there with money who want to buy. Yeah. But it's been, I think it's been slow because of lack of stock because people don't go and see, I mean, whenever I've bought anything, I've gone and seen four or five places and said, right, I'll have that one. Yeah, because same. I know that, you know, if you're buying a terraced house, the decor might be different, but essentially you can just see the same thing again yeah, and again correct. and again, and you can retile a bathroom or extend a kitchen or whatever. So I always know what I want to buy. But a lot of people, you know, they go and see 30, 40, 50, a hundred places before they make a decision. It's mental. It's mental. And if they can't see, yeah. they can't. If they haven't got places to see, they don't feel like they know if they're getting something good. So I think that's also slowed things. I mean, and that, also the weather's that, been bloody awful. Yeah, hasn't it has. this is the it coldest has. spring in like ten years. Yeah. Well, it's probably the coldest spring I've ever encountered here in London, and I've been here for twenty-two years. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, it's been awful. Um, and then just doom and gloom on the news, right? And that that doesn't exactly create a lot of doom sentiment. and gloom. And, and also, I think just I think generally, I mean, we listen to a lot of news, we listen to a lot of podcasts, and um, there just seems to be a an endless supply of 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 well of doom and gloom. I mean, and and the, the whole AI thing, I think, as well as freaking people out more and more. More people are sort of waking up to it. And thinking, oh God, oh God, you know, one of the many things. I would hate to be a teenager these days. And I remember when, when I was a teenager, and they were talking about um, um, uh, nuclear, 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 the Cold War, mm. you know, stuff like that, and um, how freaky that was at the time. Yeah, but you know, I have a, te- I have a teenager. News channel. Yeah, it was. I, but I have a teenager at home, and I can tell you that they are not at all. Um, sort of plugged into what happens in the world. No, but come on, they are climate change. There's look at all that. Look at look, the Greta Thunberg brigade. I mean, the kids are very engaged. I think with, with climate. They change, well, I say climate this, disaster. They, appear, they appear to be more engaged because social media allows them to have a voice, right? Right. But I think the majority of kids are, you know, in the room. Exactly. Well, think about when you were a kid, right? Yeah. You, you know, you, there were three or four channels on TV, right? Mm. And you, your dad wanted to watch the news, and then mm. everyone had to scatter somewhere else, yeah. right? Or the rugby. Yeah, yeah. Or the rugby, exactly, whatever the case might be. But then you sort of pick up on this mm. and you sit down at the dinner table and you have a conversation and dad and mom are talking about, 
you know, the world, whatever, be it, you know, Russia's falling or the Soviet Union's falling, whatever. So you pick up on this. Mm. But nowadays, no one's doing that, right? I mean, now we're moving on to sort of social economic um, sort of oh, okay. conversations. But, you know, people don't talk anymore in the same way they used to. They sort of communicate via WhatsApp or, you know, their phones or computers, whatever the case is. So it, information and news is A, manipulated. Mm. And two, it's it's sort of headline news. news. Yeah, it's headline news, news, right? People just mm. look. I mean, I did it this morning, funny enough. I went onto the Apple News, right? Yeah. I scrolled down. So I saw 20 headlines, clicked one article, right? But back in the day, you'd sort of more engage with that news and sort of see where's it coming from, who said it, and these sort of things, right? And that's, well, that's you, a You could shift. believe what you saw on the news for a start. Did you see that? Um, there was um, a, a fake a, a fake um, footage of, uh, of, a, of a bombing in America of, um, what was it now? Oh God, I've forgotten. There was the bombing of, what's that? Is it the Pentagon? What's that? Yeah, the shaped? Pentagon. Yeah, the Pentagon. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, the, the American stock exchange dropped by a certain amount of points. A few, and tri- a, a few trillion dollars wiped out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. That that can happen. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, but I, I don't know. I just, I just worry about, um, about the impact that things like climate change and social media and, and what it's having on just anxiety generally in the world. I mean, climate change is, is an important, uh, we could do a whole topic on climate change and it, it, it doesn't come across as sort of sexy, sexy conversations. But I mean, we live on an island here in the UK. Mm-hmm. We are surrounded by water and Rising sea levels will have a massive impact on people who own houses on the coast, on rivers. Do you remember that uh, infographics on what London will look like in 20 years? That was scary. I mean, most of it, for for those who haven't seen that infographic, we should see if we can find and put it up on our Instagram, but most of London is underwater. Would you know they're starting on a new Thames barrier? Yeah, of course. On the other side of the Thames barrier. There's going to be a new one. This infographic took the Thames barrier into account. I mean, things like St. Paul's is half subdued in water. Oh. And I mean, that is mental. God. You know, we can, along the Thames Embankment, as you walk down, they were talking about putting up sort of reinforced glass that would, you know, sort of hold the water back. But going up as high as 20 meters. Excellent. Yeah. So okay. we, we, we veered from talking about the spring market into Armageddon. Yeah. So I think um, just going, let, let's, let's steer back to something <laughs> the positive, property market. Something positive. <laughs> the lettings market yeah. um, is certainly picking up pace. Last year was an absolute frenzy last summer. Yeah. Um, and prices peaked, I think, 20% over um, pre-pandemic levels. Um, and obviously it's been in the press um, constantly about um, people who are unable to find a place to rent. Um, and um, a massive shortage of stock. Um, interestingly, you know, we work in a, in, 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 a, in a more expensive market, I guess, which isn't quite as frenzied. There's, there's um, not quite as many people fighting over the same properties, um, but there's, it's definitely picking up pace. Um, we've got uh, one tenant we're trying to, to move out of a property that they've been served notice to move out because the landlords, funnily enough, uh, do want to sell. So yeah. even with the, the in new laws in place, that wouldn't affect them. But um, they are really struggling to find somewhere to move to and they've yeah. got a very healthy budget, huh. you know, um, and uh, that um, is what the summer market is. You know, that's the, a lot of landlords want their properties to become available around July, August, September, because those, that's the time to get the, the best rent. And I would say probably 20% up on what it was four months ago. Like yeah. if you're trying to rent one property, exactly the same property, you'd probably get, well, considerably more, I'd say at least 20% more. It's amazing how the lettings market um, 
fluctuates in price as much as it does. I mean, it's completely understandable that it's cyclical, right? Mm. Um, as opposed to the sales market, but it's still, you know, to, to say that you can get 20% more if you yeah. wait three months. Yeah. That's, that's quite mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. Although if a property is sitting empty, I always say to landlord, let's let's do a quick calculation. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if, if it's sitting here empty for another three weeks, you might as well, you know, take a slightly lower rent if the, if we can get a tenant in right away, right? And, and that is good advice, Matt. It certainly is. Very good advice. It certainly is. Um, Chris, I mean, I think that's that's quite a lot. Uh, we don't want to um, bore people to tears. So um, hopefully that's been interesting. Perfect. All right. Well, that's a, a goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.